Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with health, performance, and how to elevate the human experience. I explore the latest tools, science, and technology with experts in various fields of human optimization. This is your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. You know, these solo episodes are sometimes the hardest to record. It's December 27th. I'm hoping to release this episode the week of December 28th sometime before New Year's. And we're going to talk today about 2020 and the year that was. It's Boomer. I'm your host, as always, of the Decoding Superhuman podcast. And I'm armed today with a little bit of fresh water from my Berkey water filter through some Celtic sea salt in there decaf coffee. We'll get into that in the experiment section and a little bit of a microdose. So we'll see how things go. And today we're going to dive into all things 2020, the year that was. And you can think of this as sort of an exploration, if you will, an experiment or several experiments. And we're going to get into a lot in this time period together. I may bring somebody in at the end. I may not. Let's see how it goes. But this year started for me in Korea, of all places, and had a lot of time climbing mountains in Sorokson and spending time with my future in-laws, of course. And 2020 started with you know several key objectives, right? I thought I was going to be public speaking all around the world. I obviously wanted to continue to grow and nurture this podcast because I love it and it what's really brings me a lot of joy. And of course, I had my client business and numerous other opportunities. But then that pesky little virus came, right? And all of a sudden, you're like, fuck, what do I do? Because it was shortly after I did my TED Talk in February on my birthday that most of the world went into some form of lockdown. Prior to that, it was very much similar to other years. I flew to Metabolic Health Summit in January to go visit some of my friends, but also to hang out with people like Dom D'Agostino and others. And then we went in lockdown. And for somebody who hasn't really spent much time in the same city his entire life, or really since the 10 years I've lived abroad now, it was a little bit of anxiety initially, because prior to that, I'd spent no more than three weeks in the same city at the same time. And those three weeks were in Amsterdam. If I go back to my days in Singapore, it was no more than two weeks in the same city. And I've spent much of my life moving from one place to the next, delivering one speak speech, if you will, see if the English comes out today, to the next, and really going from one project to the next. But 2020 happened, and it allowed things to morph in very beautiful ways. I was able to go deeper on projects and topics that I never really thought I'd get a chance to go down on before, or go deep on, if you will. And I got really close with this city that I live in and have developed some amazing relationships and friends just due to being in the Netherlands for a longer period of time this year. And so the format of this show is that recap. And we're going to break it out into a handful of various topics where I'll go deep on things like the podcast and the top 10 episodes from the year. And what I want to do is really share what I got out of those episodes. And of course, we'll link to all those episodes in the show notes, which is at decodingsuperhuman.com slash 2020 
recap. We're also going to go into some of my favorite books, but not just favorite books, also the frameworks by which I'm studying and just sort of go into the reasons why I'm studying different things. I'll talk about some of the experiments I ran and the technologies I used in 2020. I won't go into a lot there because I feel like I could talk for hours about the experiments that I run on a day-to-day basis. And I think it'd be more useful to highlight some of the reasons why I did certain things, what was very successful for me, and what some of the technologies that I've used and continue to fall in love with day in and day out. And maybe we'll have something special at the end. Let's see. But for now... Let's kick things off with the best of the podcast for 2020. All right, so let's get into the top 10 podcasts of 2020. And I must say, it's an honor to host this podcast because I get to explore my curiosities with experts all around the world. And at any given time, a lot of these episodes are really reflecting of what I'm diving into deep on a day-to-day basis. But also this year, we implemented something more of like a a reverse inquiry using a finance term, if you will. And that looked a little bit more like you guys telling me what people you want on the podcast, what topics you want on the podcast. And we heard a lot from you around the the really desire to hear more about data-driven health, cognition, nootropics, as well as uh, things like movement. And so it's interesting to see the, how that plays out in the downloads. Let's go through the top 10 one by one, and I'm going to really introduce the, the episode, talk a little bit about what I got of it, out of it, if you will, and really just progress from there. So the number 10 most downloaded episode of this year is with my friend, Paul Austin. Paul Austin started the Third Wave Co., which is really a good source for those who are looking to experiment in areas like microdosing or even larger doses, if you will, of psychedelics. And I reached out to Paul earlier this year because really it's a topic that I've become more and more familiar with in the past 12 months. And I wanted somebody to come on to really give the backstory of psychedelics. And that's a fascinating episode in itself. And in that episode, we get a lot into uh, just the history of psychedelics. And I find fascinating that for a good period of time, really leading into the 1960s, there's quite a lot of research being done on these. And we have an even longer relationship with substances like cannabis, a 5,000 year relationship with uh You can see that when you look at sort of old remedies with the cannabis plant in ancient China and how, you know, almost overnight that research ceased. And I encourage you guys to check out this episode to get to know personalities like Sasha Shulgin, uh, Timothy Leary, as well as uh, numerous others, and really the effect of the administration, like the Nixon administration has had on the dampening of psychedelic research. But also we get into maps and what Rick Doblin and crew are doing over there uh, in terms of the development and really seeking to get phase three. uh, I think they're now in phase three trials of uh, FDA approval for MDMA therapy for PTSD. And so I encourage everyone to check that out because it's a good primer on 
larger doses of psychedelics and why someone may want to microdose. Number nine, it's the only technology that's or technology-based episode that is on this list. And so in previous years of the podcast, I've gone and done deep dives on some of my favorite gear out there, devices like the V-Lite, Sonospace, the Carol, etc. And this year, it was interesting to see that the only device that made it onto the top 10 lists of most downloaded episodes was the Somo Vedic. And I've told you guys multiple times that I plug this thing in in my office and for some reason I just have higher levels of energy. I want to get more shit done, which for somebody who is an entrepreneur and working across a few businesses, but also serving on the boards of others, that is incredibly valuable. And I have the Medic Green Ultra. You know, if you go to one of the YouTube episodes of the podcast, you could probably see it in the background. And it's something that fascinates uh, me because I can't exactly explain how it works, but they use various crystals and metals to, well, beam out uh, various waves, if you will. And it counteracts areas like electromagnetic radiation, 5G, but also potentially helps with structuring water as well as. Uh, getting rid of parasites. You can check all of their information out over at somavidic.com. And I believe I have a discount somewhere that I'll throw in the show notes for you guys. Number eight, it's always fun to get together with friends and record a podcast. In the case of this episode, it was absolutely a joy to speak with the ladies over at Tussle Wellness. Ingrid DeLao, as well as Alana Friedman, join me for a fascinating discussion around really deep dives into ingredients and how to heal the body. And Tussel makes some fantastic smoothies. But what I got out of this episode was Ingrid's novel way to tackle her Crohn's, as well as postpartum depression. And so I would encourage people to check that out because I've worked with those with Crohn's, but also I've I know it's probably more common than people are willing to admit. And Ingrid went a little bit different than what is now promoted as the carnivore approach. And she worked with just really pure, good ingredients to heal herself of Crohn's. So you can check out that episode as well. Number seven, most downloaded episode of the year. And when this person agreed to speaking with me, it was right around. April. And at that time, a lot of the US was very uncertain in terms of uh, lockdown. And he was about ready to launch his book, The Wedge. And Scott Carney came on the show. And I must say, it was one of the most fascinating and fun hour and a half, really, episodes of this year. And what did I get out of it? So The Wedge is really about introducing pattern interrupts to bring back focus into your life, to bring back resilience, if you will, because we're now inundated with all kinds of information, distraction, and well, information overload in a way. And so bringing you back to that present moment and awareness, if you will, is something that was a reverberating theme on the podcast throughout this year. And so we had an just a fascinating conversation. And one of the things that I brought back into my life was the idea of throwing kettlebells. What do I mean by that? Of course, I'm not throwing my 28 kg kettlebell uh, at my girlfriend. No, I'm looking at 
you know, much lighter weights and kind of throwing them with an intent, with a focus and playing almost catch, if you will, with kettlebells. And the reason why this is powerful is because it does require you to focus. It's the same thing as really going with a a max effort lift, if you will. If you're not focused, you're not going to be able to do it. And you need to be able to catch a kettlebell in a certain way so that you don't drop it. And just having those brief moments, those brief pattern interrupts allows me to come back to my work with a certain degree of fervor uh, and focus that allows me to just get more shit done and be more productive. Number six. If you noticed the second half of this year, I started to reach out to more people in the academia realm. I wanted to speak with researchers because that was really a part of my own growth pattern. We had guys like Dr. Tommy Wood on the show, Dr. Neil Grunberg, and our guest or our podcast for the number six most downloaded episode of the year was Francisco Gonzalez Lima. And this kind of goes into those compounds of controversy that I alluded to earlier. We talked almost exclusively about methylene blue for two hours. And Francisco admittedly was going to come on the show to talk about low-level light therapy as well as methylene blue. But we spoke about methylene blue at length. And methylene blue is such a fascinating compound to me. It has auto-oxidation properties. It helps in the Krebs cycle. It's an antifungal, an antiviral. And we got into it in depth And if you want to talk to you or really just listen to somebody who is extremely well-versed and probably the world's foremost expert on this compound, I would encourage you to check out those two episodes with Francisco Gonzalez Lima. Now let's move on to the next one. And this kind of actually ties in with number six. And it's fascinating to me to see what you guys really like and listen to. And it's really pleasing to me when one of those episodes has to do with a company that um, I'm involved in. And so the number five most downloaded episode of the year was a conversation between myself and fellow transcriptions colleague, Dr. Scott Scher. And this was a fun conversation around blue canatine and methylene blue, or really the product Just Blue that we produce at transcriptions. And we got very deep into the cognitive benefits of both of those nootropics. We talk about what a nootropic is, and we're going to expand on that further this year in transcriptions, which is really, really exciting. And we talk about those compounds and how they can be used in various ways. So for instance, blue canatine, its original formulation was to help with verbal fluency as well as short-term memory as a result of jet lag. And yours truly is no stranger to jet lag. And so this has been a compound which I use now when I'm flying across the world. And I'm going to attempt to do that again in January. And Just Blue, on the other hand, has been really a steady state nootropic for me that allows me to get just sort of this really uh, transition into GSD mode where I'm able to get a lot of stuff done, a lot of those manual tasks that I don't want to do, or just uh, require a little bit more focus on the numbers. So things like financial modeling, if you will, become a lot more easier with Just Blue. And so if you have questions about what I'm up to over at transcriptions, that's probably a good place to start. The number four most downloaded episode of the year was 
my first exploration on the podcast into the oral microbiome. And it's been a long time coming, but Dr. Dome and I have many mutual friends and we had a lot of fun on the podcast, clearly. At one point, one of his children popped in and you can watch that happen on YouTube. But it was an enlightening conversation about the importance of the oral microbiome. And he wrote a book called It All Starts in Your Mouth, which is a really just sort of great primer on the healthy oral microbiome. And one of the key things that I took away from that episode was mouthwashing using coconut oil. So this is actually just called oil pulling. And many of you may be familiar with this, but oil pulling is a much healthier, according to Dr. Dome, alternative to mouthwash. So you want to check out that episode as well. Now we're getting into the top three. And hopefully Roy can work out some sort of drum roll for this because this is fun. Number three, enhance your mind with Dr. Andrew Hill. And this one was actually recorded in 2019, but released in early 2020. And it was recorded at Dr. Andrew Hill's office in Los Angeles. I had a great time with him. We went through a QEEG, which is essentially just picture somebody with a lot of wire stuck to their head and they're looking at their brainwaves. I went through a number of different tests, uh, which were enlightening in terms of my focus patterns and participated in some neurofeedback sessions. So what did I take away from Dr. Andrew Hill? QEEGs are fascinating and something that I've had a few times in the past. And just given my history, in relationship with perfectionism and stress, I do have things like elevated beta waves or have in the past. Um, and we went through my results in detail in the episode. What was more enlightening to me was the idea that I may have sleep issues as a result of concussions I had when I was younger. I don't want to label this TBI because I think there's a lot going on in that world related to athletics. And I certainly didn't have as severe concussions as these people did, but it's fascinating to me that this potential concussion that the last one I had was when I was 16 years old could result in sleep issues and stress issues. Even now when I'm now 34. Number two. And this was an introduction through Mark Richter, who's a great friend. Um, he participates with Flowgrade, but also is a f- uh, friend through Andreas Breitfeld over at Breitfeld Biohacking and a few others. And this was an interview with Dr. Alexander Wunsch. And I've been trying to get Dr. Wunsch on the episode or really on the podcast for a long time. And through Mark, we made that happen. We did a deep dive into light and color therapy and looking into things like the Lucier test. And what I took away out of this episode, which I found most fascinating, was looking at vitamin D in the winter and the idea that we have to have high vitamin D all the time. So looking, uh, well, really extrapolating from Dr. Wunsch's expertise, it turns out that there's probably some seasonality in vitamin D, which makes sense, right? Because from an ancestral perspective, a lot of us didn't have capsules to take vitamin D in the wintertime when we were living in places like Amsterdam. 
But I, I found that really relieving in some aspects, but also it begged me to dive a little bit deeper into the vitamin D world. And anytime a guest, really all of these top 10 guests have caused me to do that, really get me to go deeper on a topic, I get really, really excited. So thank you, Dr. Wunsch, for coming on the show. And now we're left with one. The number one most downloaded and most streamed episode of the year in both categories, actually, is not surprisingly Dr. Dominic D'Agostino. And this episode was called Keto Explained, but we got into a lot of different topics. If you want a primer on the ketogenic diet, but also why it may be good in certain states like going underwater, as well as uh, for things like seizures, this is a great episode to start with. Uh, We also have episodes with Christy Vlad, and it's probably one of the most frequently talked about topics on this podcast, at least in previous years. But what I got out of Dr. Dom's episode was slightly different. If you go to the end of that episode, Dr. Dom talks about how he dedicates a lot of his time uh, and really just research, uh, or really he dedicates a lot of time to research. And he set up really what could be a a great for-profit business to fund his research. And I appreciated the way he looked at research and actually changed the way I think about the profits from the podcast. And so, you know, Dr. Dom, thank you for shaping the way I think about the profits from the podcast and using those more for charitable donations in the future. And I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I think it's time we now go on to the next segment where I want to share some of the experiments and technologies that I got into this year. All right, just had a sip of decaf, some water, and now we're back to talk about experiments. 2020 was filled with a wide range of experiments. And of course, you'd think that would happen because, well, 2020, I was stuck in Amsterdam for well over 80% of the year. And I say stuck loosely because I am now rather fond of this city and enjoying all of its quirks, freedoms, etc. And so let's get into the experiment, shall we? And just to give you a summary of many of the things that I experimented with this year, I went really deep on areas like peptides, SARMs, which are selective androgen receptor modulators, and different avenues in dealing with anxiety. I played around with probably a dozen different red light technologies, as well as created my own vitamin D lamp for this winter. And of course, when all of the gyms get shut down, what the fuck is one supposed to do? Well, I created my own home gym, and given all of the obligations I have during the day, I will probably share a little bit or shed a little bit of light on the minimum effective dose workout routine that I've gotten myself into. And I've also experimented with removing different substances, foods, et cetera, from my diet. And I'm going to share a little bit about that as well. But today, the idea is to get into three of those more useful experiments. And before I get into some of these experiments, I got to say, I'm not a doctor. I don't try to play a doctor on the internet. Before attempting any of this, please go speak to your doctor. In certain cases, you may need to 
because they require prescription medications. But don't do anything stupid. Neither you or I wants this on our soul. All right, so let's talk about the topic of anxiety and fear extinction. Anxiety is something that I've dealt with for the majority of my life. For the most part, it's really manifested itself in terms of perfectionism. But when I was in the thrills of banking, that resulted in areas or just sort of issues with things like panic attacks. Panic attacks for me looked like breaking out in sweats when in the middle of meetings. It was absolutely embarrassing. And 2020 was a really big deep dive for me in understanding my nervous system a little bit better, the quirks of it. So rather than just going into things with H- like HRV, which is certainly a great metric, I looked a little bit deeper in how to deal with some of these underlying themes in my life, or um, as certain books would call them, traumas, and how to extinguish those. And so the first experiment, which I've run multiple times on myself and find it uh, really relieving, has to do with uh, the use of propanolol, which is a beta blocker, and fear extinction. So let me, let me walk you through the experiment. And if you want to read more on this, I'll link to a couple of the papers on it in the show notes. But essentially, you take 40 milligrams of propanolol, and over the course of the next hour, you write out the uh, and a story of fear, an experience that you had in your life that may have left some sort of mark on you. For instance, with me, it was certain interactions I had with my father growing up with regards to perfectionism. You write it out. You write all of the emotions of that particular event, recalling the actual day that it happened in great detail. And you write it out for about an hour. And after an hour, you take the time to read it. Read it with emotion. And in my case, I read it multiple times. And this can be somewhat confronting, right? It can really bring up a lot of emotions, some cases sadness, some cases tears, some cases uh, just things you didn't necessarily want to remember. But the end result of all of this is actually relief. Uh, The idea is to extinguish the fear so that what was no longer serving you underneath the surface, some of these past traumas, some of these past things that have happened in your life, is now no longer there. And on the several occasions that I ran this experiment, what happened? Well, I ended up sleeping better. I ended up not thinking of these events in the past as negative. I really just thought of it as more of a life experience. It's no longer a part of my story, if you will. And so it's something that I encourage you guys to check out. But again, if you're going to do it, do it under the care of a physician. Number two, and actually this may be two, three, four, because I want to get into a little bit around movement or exercise. 2020, many of us were faced with lockdowns and lockdowns included initially things like gyms, which is ironic because it's a great place to really stay healthy. And so if you're stuck at home as I was, what happens? Well, the first thing I did was I went to go buy a barbell and like many places in the world, exercise equipment sold out quickly. 
barbells were no longer there. And the barbell was something I've become quite fond of uh, for most of my life. And I've done powerlifting competitions. I've competed at a really significant level in CrossFit. And now I no longer have a barbell. And this was way back in March. So what the fuck am I going to do, right? Is, you know, I can't just stop lifting. I can't just stop really working out. And maybe I, am I going to run for six months? Well, no. So the first thing that I went and did was purchase a couple of sandbags, got weights all the way up to really 50 kgs. So I was focusing more on volume there rather than absolute max effort and just falling in love with a new practice because what the, what the lockdown actually allowed me to do was to get into a lot more strongman training, a lot more of sandbag training. It's something that I've wanted to do for a long time, but just didn't have the time. And now that all the barbells in Europe were sold out, I found myself buying sandbags relatively easily. So I got a couple of sandbags and that's led into explorations with the guys at StrongFit, which I'll come back to in a second, as well as just fascinating, uh, ways to move and carry a lot of weight, a very long distance and challenge all of your mental language. The other thing that I had uh, coming into lockdown or was blessed with coming in lockdown was that my Carol arrived just in time. And the Carol is an artificial intelligence powered resistance bike, which gets me a really good workout in eight minutes and 40 seconds. But I happen to enjoy the Carol for multitude of reasons. I can do my zone two training there, which is 30 to 40 minutes of riding, probably more like 40 minutes of riding at a heart rate for me that is around 120 to 130. And so I enjoy my zone two training there. I've actually purchased a little bit of a book holder so that I can read while doing that zone two training. Uh, But the other thing about the Carol that I like is that you can do uh, these crazy sprint workouts. And so they have pre-programmed 20 minutes of 60 sprint workouts where it's, uh, 60 sprints that are eight seconds a piece and you get a little bit of rest period in between. And so those are for my sadistic Sundays or sometimes crazy Fridays where I just want to absolutely have some fun and do a lot of work in, again, very little time. So we're talking about tops 20 minutes here, people, or in the case of zone two, maybe more like 40 minutes. The other tools that I have at my disposal are the X3 bar, which I think anybody who has one knows how powerful that thing can be uh, just in a general environment. But when you go home and you want to lift a lot of weight, uh, the X3 bar allows you to do it in 10 minutes of time. And so maybe even less actually in certain days. And so the X3 bar takes you through a series of eight to 10 movements. And those eight to 10 movements are split apart over two days and you can do it four days a week. You can do it six days a week. I try to do it more like six and I enjoy it so much because it's a very, very effective lifting workout in a very short period of time. And then the last tool that I have in the the arsenal, actually one of the last tools I have in the arsenal is uh, the B-Strong. And the B-Strong, uh, you know, Dr. Jim Stray Gunderson is one of the more downloaded episodes of this year, has been on the show and, you know, he's studied hypoxia almost his entire life, uh, wrote the original paper on live high, train low. And I find the B-Strong fascinating because like all of you out there, I'm looking for a shortcut. And the shortcut for me is blood flow restriction training 
at least in movement. And so in less than 20 minutes, I'm able to get an effective workout and you are really gassed and you're not really lifting that much weight. And I'm able to put on muscle very, very quickly. So how do those kind of items, if you will, come together in my workouts? Well, initially at the start of um, this lockdown, it was all at once. And so I'd do some sandbag training, followed by the X3, followed by the B-Strong. And then I'd work on the Carol, do the eight minutes and 40 seconds with two 20-second sprints on alternate days. That didn't seem to suit my general desire, so I actually began to split it out into two-a-days. And so my two-a-days are actually the bookends to my workday. So in the morning, I'll do my more intense exercise. This includes things like the carol, or now that I'm back running, a little bit of running, as well as the lifting uh, through the X3 bar. And then the afternoon will be spent on lower intensity stuff, things like yoga, as well as the B-Strong. And so those have been ways to really keep me focused on the workday, as well as to signal to my body when to begin and when to end the day. All right. So recently in movement, I've had the pleasure, and this is actually a separate experiment within movement, of getting to know Julian Pinot and Richard Aceves from StrongFit. We've had a lot of fun together. We've even rec- recorded a podcast together, which if I were to take StrongFit's downloads, because they released it at the same time and mine, I'm sure it would be in the top five podcasts of this year. And a lot of what I got out of the StrongFit cruise knowledge was bringing awareness to movement. And I've had the pleasure of working with Richard one-to-one, or I should say I've been crushed by Richard one-to-one. And bringing awareness to movement allows me to bring a certain level of intensity to my workouts. And that certain level of intensity also goes back to something that Julian has alluded to in the past called burn the questions. And burn the questions is just simply um, silencing that mental chatter. And I find that this approach goes very, very well um, in sort of a, a balance to minimum effective dose because the danger I find in minimal effective dose exercise is that you try to focus on the absolute minimum to the point where you're actually leaving some stuff on the table. And so by contrast, the Strong Fit crew uh, has taught me a lot more about what it's like to not leave anything on the table. And they call that burn the questions, or I'm actually paraphrasing that. It's part of their repertoire, if you will. And so a lot of the bringing awareness to movement has uh, come through the use of strategic use of songs. Uh, the classic one that everybody thinks of is Flower by Moby, which is Bring Sally Up, Bring Sally Down. And if you picture that in sort of a movement exercise, you can do, let's say, sandbag floor presses. Bring Sally up, you push up. Bring Sally down, you contract it uh, in sort of an eccentric movement. And if you do that throughout the whole song, it becomes very, very challenging. And then if you add the layer of focus and just continually focusing on the movement of the muscle that you're targeting, it makes it even more exhausting to the point where I've had some of these workouts which have caused me to go to sleep for a couple of days. The strong fit guys were actually going, sorry, not a couple of days. I've had to nap quite often for a few days, but let's, the strong fit guys have coined this in some ways they've wanted to coin it movement ayahuasca, but in other ways they said that that was too passive, but I encourage you to just sort of check this out 
It's called emotional mapping. We talk about it on my podcast with Julian and Richard Aceves, but also it's talked about at length on the StrongFit podcast. All right. The next experiment that I want to share with you guys are actually the second to last experiment we're going to talk about is revolving around knee pain. So at the start of lockdown, I started getting knee pain, which I thought wasn't really a big deal because I had the Carol here and I could just bike. And so for three months, actually more for yeah, longer than that, I did nothing when it came to running. I just used the bike. And that was just because I had Uh, significant knee pain as a result of injuries like tearing my meniscus when uh, hiking in Patagonia or probably beating myself up in powerlifting and some of the stuff I did to myself when I was younger, like tearing my quadricep, for instance. And I could barely run and I couldn't figure out why. And over the course of lockdown, it didn't get better. It got worse to the point where I couldn't even jog after like my girlfriend, for instance who was ahead of me, just as an example. And this became some somewhat concerning to me. And I have to give a shout out to all the people that listen to this podcast and follow me on Instagram, because I posted this on Instagram. And within probably two minutes, I had dozens of responses and there was this reverberating theme. Uh, and, you know, I like to give credit where credit is due. And this person on Instagram is at knees over toes guy. And he completely fixed my knee pain. Again, my right knee was barely mobile. And now this morning I'm able to go, and this is actually after only one month of working with him, I'm able to now run a 5k pretty easily. And so the exercises are completely different from what you would expect. It's dealing a lot with, um, sort of how a knee gets exposed in athletics, uh, in particular things like basketball, how you move in general, and how we can train those sort of overextended movements so that knee injuries occur less. And so knees over toes guy, shout out to you for fixing my knee. Thank you. And to all of those listening, thank you for suggesting him to me. The last experiment that I want to talk about, because this segment's getting a little bit long, is really an experiment in no caffeine and no nootropics. The last month and a half, I've gone without caffeine. You heard me earlier saying I was drinking decaf without any nootropics of any kind. And why did I do this? Well, You can say that my caffeine consumption has gone down quite a lot over the past five years, but still I haven't really gone with zero caffeine consumption. I was just kind of curious what it would do to me. How tired was I really? And initially when I did this, it was hard. The first week was incredibly painful. Actually, the first 10 days were incredibly hard to to do. I felt like I had some sort of really... Unfocused attention, if you will. It was more like ADD experience. And then day 10 happens and I started to feel great. I started to sleep better. The caffeine was clearing out of my system. This, you know, caffeine for me meant no coffee, no cacao, no tea, none of these nootropics, even though I'm involved in creating them. I, I 
laid off the nootropics for a little bit. And what were the end results? So I'm now on week six of no caffeine and no nootropics. And whereas before, there's probably one night a week where I would wake up in the middle of the night and not be able to get back to sleep. Uh, That has gone the way of the dodo. I am now able to sleep through the night. I don't really have to worry about um, not uh, not getting sufficient amounts of sleep, and it's been incredible for me, especially as an entrepreneur, because you know you're using your brain almost all the time. And so for me, removing caffeine, and I'm just beginning to actually start to reintroduce things like cow into certain beverages during the day. Uh, has been incredibly, incredibly powerful. And so I do notice a difference in terms of my stress resilience. I do notice a a distance or or difference. Wow. Talking for too long now in terms of my sleep quality. And I also know, notice a difference in terms of really my alertness throughout the day. So I do look forward to going back to caffeine because I enjoy coffee quite a bit. Um, I do look forward to seeing what caffeine now does to me uh, as a result of going off of it for so long. But it's an experiment that I encourage everybody to do. And I do believe a lot in cycling everything from nootropics to caffeine to certain types of foods. But in this case, uh, cycling caffeine has been incredibly, incredibly beneficial to me. Now that we've really crossed through the experiment side of this podcast, let's talk about technology. This podcast is broken out into a number of different segments. And so this segment is all about reading. And this year I had the pleasure of going through a number of different books, but luckily enough, uh, the quality of the books has definitely not gone down, but the quantity of the books has just increased significantly in terms of books that are referred to me that I just really, really want to read. And so as a result, I've had to process a lot more and developed a little bit of a different reading scheme. But perhaps I'll just lay out a framework for you guys in terms of how I was looking at my reading for the year, because I I kind of derive that uh, health books are great, but usually the idea can be summarized in a few pages. Uh, Certainly the scientific papers or some of the uh, preeminent authors in the space are worth reading the full books. But a lot of these books, particularly diet books, you can glean insights from, from just a few pages. Uh, It's the same thing with business books, right? This is why Blinkist is such a useful tool for me is that business books, most of the ideas are encapsulated in a couple of pages. Think of that as just Malcolm Gladwell's books. You don't need to understand the tipping point ad nauseum. The tipping point is just simply explained in one or two pages, or at least in one of the stories. So one of the, um, due to just the quantity of the influx influx of good books this year, what I did was, was I allowed myself to not have to read everything. I don't have to read the full book. As long as I understand the ideas and some of the details, I'm okay with letting go. And so that was a huge development for me overall. But what were the areas I focused on? Because I mentioned that business books are certainly easy to read for me, but also very fast reads. Um, Health books, in particular diet books, are very fast reads, if I read them at all, really. But I focused a lot more on uh, two specific areas, looking at ancient literature and philosophy, 
and also looking at decision making. Because when I look at what really makes an impact on my life on a day to day basis, if I make better decisions, the quality of life is going to go up significantly. So, where did I focus? You guys heard in the episode with Mads and Dasha that I talked a lot about evolutionary game theory and digging into that. Those were predominantly textbooks. But one of the ways that I look at developing better decision-making is through mental models and then understanding a little bit about our own biases. And so this really gets to the meat of what my favorite books were for the year. In this category of really decision-making, I think it's hard to ignore uh, the force that is Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky. Thinking Fast and Slow is hands down one of the best books that I've read this year. And I, I recommend it to anybody who's looking to just develop a better sense of how they make decisions because they, we have this innate system, system one and system two, uh, which one is very lazy and a much more methodical decision maker, but it's, it requires a lot of energy of activation. And the other one is a much more intuitive, fast paced decision maker and probably shouldn't be trusted as much as it is in today's world. The second book that I read from daily is The Art of the Good Life. And Ralph DeBelli is, he actually has two books that I've read this year that are on this list. And The Art of the Good Life, I just read one chapter a day. And it's really just useful pointers on how to get the most out of life, uh, such as not caring as much about external validation, doing things because you enjoy doing them, uh, those types of things. Stop looking uh, for others. I guess this goes back to the external validation thing. But The Art of the Good Life is a good one. Now, perhaps a book that I like even more is The Art of Thinking Clearly. And The Art of Thinking Clearly, again, through this great organization system of just like a chapter that you can read every single day takes you through different biases that we all have. And those biases uh, affect our decisions. They affect our ability to make high quality decisions, but just also affect uh, things like ego. So interestingly enough, when you look at um, how a company is run, now what success can be attributed to the management versus the environment. And most often you'll find a lot of it is environment. And so there's a lot of uh, particularly egotistical CEOs out there that think that they're responsible for the success of their companies, when in reality, it's uh, a, lot of, a lot to do with the particular market or environment that you're in. So the art of thinking clearly is there. And then I have to throw on the list anything from Charlie Munger, but the Tao of Charlie Munger is an audiobook that I listen to every morning. And the chapters are probably 90 seconds to three minutes. And you can listen to one chapter a day and just get the wit, wisdom, and investment philosophy of Charlie Munger, which is incredible. But that will wrap it up on the decision-making side of things. Now, I mentioned more of the ancient text, spiritual philosophy uh, side of books. And so from here, I definitely came into this space through the lens of Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, and a few others. 
But I find going into texts, even something like The Origin of Species, and going back into those uh, texts and understanding you know, how they're written and why it's kind of stood the test of time is fascinating to me. These books are a little bit meatier and it takes me a little bit longer to read them. And so I'll generally read them either first thing in the morning or right before I go to bed, depending on what I need to put myself to sleep at night. And so from that lens of sort of ancient texts, I, I still read from the Vedas daily, but more from the lens of just trying, trying to learn a little bit. Uh, I also look at uh, books like, well, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, which is a fantastic, fantastic kind of gateway into Nietzsche and a lot of his different philosophies. But that was one of the uh, more eye-opening books that I've read this year. So that kind of covers my my top two, if you will, from that spiritual uh, side of things. And actually, I probably wouldn't put the Vedas in the top two because I think it's more of a, a good reference book or just a book to come back to from time to time. There's certainly some things, uh, you know, when I look over at my bookshelf right now that I look at and say... It's always good to revisit Atlas Shrugged, but when it comes to uh, the spiritual side, you know, I have been moved by uh, Richard Dawkins' work and particularly The God Delusion. But I would encourage people rather than just, let's say you are a religious person, it's always useful to understand the other side of the argument because I will still read from religious texts despite the fact that I may sit outside of that religious label. Uh, and it's always useful to understand the other side of the argument. So before saying, hey, can't believe you're talking about this on the podcast, go out and read it um, or read the other side of the argument because that will make for a much more constructive uh, way of thinking. And like I said before, a lot of what I've focused on this year is how to think and decision making in particular. All right. So we're back and this time I have pants on. <laughs> this is a first. Yes. First, I, I'm notorious for not wearing pants on Zoom calls. <laughs> uh, and so now I have, I put pants on to record this podcast. But uh, for people who are listening right now, you may hear another voice that you probably haven't heard on the podcast before, but I've mentioned her. And I wanted to bring her on the show. And her actually has a name. Uh, <laughs> just to kind of wrap up 2020. And so Bessie, babe, welcome. Hello. So I've alluded to you in the past. I haven't talked about you much. On I the do show. exist. You do I exist. Yeah, you're real, uh, which <laughs> most people are shocked, <laughs> they right? They would be surprised. Yeah, they would be surprised. They're like, yeah. oh, Boomer actually has a girlfriend. Yeah. That, oh, wow. This is crazy. Uh, but we are going to get into a bit today and uh, get get into a what a bit a bit oh, a bit i thought yeah. we said we're going to get into bed i'm like oh oh <laughs> this podcast is going <laughs> x-rated In definitely a different route yeah well maybe later um but let's talk about 2020 because uh, you know our typical year we'll go and visit um, we live in Europe, so we can go and visit a multitude of countries, cities, etc. And we get to visit family. Then you know, this whole thing called lockdown coronavirus happened and shit hit the wall, right? Or shit hit the fan. 
how has 2020 um, been for you? Just like, what? It's been what, a roller coaster. It's been a roller coaster. Emotional roller coaster. Emotional roller coaster. How so? Start of 2020, you know, everything was jolly. We were supposed to get married in August. So we were busy wedding planning. And then, yeah, come March, Corona happened, started. Um, and I don't think anyone expected it to last as long as it did. No. Um, hence you can why reference Borat 2 for that, by the way. Oh. Borat 2, where Mike Pence talks about how long he thinks coronavirus <laughs> is going to be. Anyway. Let's not make this into a political no, discussion. No, this is not a political discussion. Um, yeah, you know, nobody really expected this to last as long as it has. And... It's evident in the in that fact that governments have done a poor job in containing this thing. But regardless, on a personal level, um, so we started working from home, which meant that me and we were around each other twenty four seven. Our home turned into an office slash everything else, uh, and I think as actually as a result of that, we've become closer with one another. Mm -hmm. So let's go into that working from home part because this is very, very topical and people still haven't figured out how to do this shit right. Like, and I I do think that we do it quite well um, in terms of having two people that have two very separate careers working from home. What do you think we've done that has made us not rip each other's hair out uh, throughout the course of this year? Or maybe you have tried ripping my hair out <laughs> while I'm sleeping. Um, I think it's actually in the morning we ask each other what our core schedule is. Yeah. Which I think actually helps. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just ha- knowing that we can make sure that we are being quiet for the other person, especially for you if you're recording a podcast. Um, and it also allows us, you know, we, we live in a, a small house. So just being able to be considerate, um, cooking at the right time. So we're not disrupting that kind of thing. Uh, I think that's been working well. And actually we are, tend to be both very heads down in mm-hmm. work. And so we are very good about not interrupting when we're in the, in the zone. Um, you have your office and I have been working currently in our living room and yeah, there really hasn't been any tension, I would say. Um, and I think, yeah, part of that is just being open and communicating when we need some, you know, quiet time. Yeah. I think that, that point you made about just the beginning of the day, nailing down, what are the key times for you where like, I can't fucking be in the room. Right. Mm-hmm. Or what are the key times where I just need you to uh, maybe not play music? Cause I know you work well with music in the background. Um, and that has been absolutely crucial. But some of the things that I do like that we do during the day is we do come together now for lunch, which is something we didn't do before, uh, which is nice, right? Like maybe we'll make completely separate dishes, but we come together for lunch and we're able to have meals together. Whereas before, you were in the office. I was either at a WeWork or here or some other country and we weren't able to have that experience. And so now we're able to have lunch together, maybe even go out and walk for a coffee, for instance. And that's been really, really enjoyable for me. 
Yeah, actually the going out for a walk is a really good one. Um, you, you're really good about actually grabbing me and making sure that I get at least 30 minutes, um, outside, which I think is really important for everyone because, you know, when you're working for, when you're working in the office, you naturally are on a, a walking about, whether mm-hmm. that's to go over to a colleague's desk, um, to check their work or to discuss, or whether you're collaborating by the whiteboard, you're kind of moving all the time, but then working from home, there's a lot less movement. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important to be able to get out just for 30 minutes, walk around the block, get some fresh air and come back because mm-hmm. that does help um, just to regenerate and get get your blood flowing again. Yeah, absolutely. Shifting perspective is going to have you or allow you to come back with better ideas, probably at a more relaxed state, et cetera. And also you get to those times like can be very quote unquote therapeutic, right? Uh, where you and I can talk through whatever problems we're going through that that day. Mm-hmm. And it allows to, rather than kind of dabbling in the mental masturbation of our thoughts, it allows us to get it out and voice it and just sort of have that that feedback, if you will. And it's good that actually we're both in completely different industries mm-hmm. because when I talk to you about my work, you have a really fresh perspective and you see it in very black and white um, and vice versa. I think when you're talking to me about your work, I have a very different way of looking at things as well. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really nice to be able to talk to someone outside of your own industry, which you don't necessarily get when you're working in an office because you're always surrounded by the people that, you know, are in your field. Mm -hmm. So that's been quite refreshing. Yeah. And if anything, like you've completely shifted some of the ways that I look at business in the past and it's, it's fascinating to me how that's all developed too. Okay. So, um, you know, working from home is obviously very topical, but another thing that people are probably curious about, um, is we, yeah, let's go into food. So food is, and I've mentioned this on the podcast in the past, we have different diets and that's okay, but we make it work. And I know this from working with clients or other people that oftentimes they outsource the excuse of not being able to eat well because of their partner, but we still make that work. What do you think enables us to, to make that work really, really well? Yeah, this is a hard one. Um, well, it's not a hard one. I think when you're living together, um, it's still, you know, it, it's still about self-control. Like I can tolerate grains a lot better than you can, um, especially rice and noodles, and I crave those things. And so I will make it if I want to eat that and I will always offer it to you. But then at the end of the day, that decision is on you. It's Mm -hmm. your, you know, self-discipline whether you want to eat it or not. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, even if your partner is eating something different, it's still within your control and it's not, nobody should blame their partner for having donuts in the house. <laughs> Obviously that is very tempting. Yeah. Um, and it helps if, it, if there are no donuts in the house, but yeah. And also, you know, don't take it. So, you know, don't stress yourself out mm-hmm. about food. You know, it's okay if you have one cheat meal a week. Um, 
I'm always a firm believer that whatever your body craves, you should eat it because that's your body's way of what telling you. What if your body you, craves a bucket of fried chicken? You know what? Everything in moderation. Mm-hmm. If it wants fried chicken because you're craving it and it's been two months since you've had fried chicken, mm-hmm. fine, go for it. You shouldn't have it every day, but, you know, why not just celebrate life and eat chicken if you want to? Mm -hmm. I I may disagree with you a little bit there, but like, (laughs) I I mean, fundamentally, I I get what you're saying. And I think there's a a relationship to food that people need to develop and they need to develop a healthy one because you get, and in the past, I'm certainly guilty of this. You have people that get so restrictive on what they eat the moment that they slip off the wagon, it's not just slipping off the wagon, it's falling off the wagon fucking head first, right? And that's where the bucket of fried chicken comes in, into the ice cream, into the bottles and bottles of whatever. Um, and that's not a healthy relationship to food. But as, and I think I probably gained this from you, just having more of those moments where it's like, okay, fine. You know, we're having people over for Christmas dinner. If I want to have dessert, that's okay. The next day I'll be back on whatever I'm following in the moment. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the idea of discipline is extremely important. And so you and I do eat very different diets, um, at a base. It's just yours is more carb heavy than mine. And being able to, we cook separate meals sometimes, but a lot of the times there's, there's compromise there. And so we try and figure out something that works for both of us. And I think, again, it kind of goes back foundationally to that element of communication and that we're able to communicate really, really well and make both of it work for both of us. Yeah. And when we do cook together, um, if one person has more requirements eating to that standard is beneficial for both people. Mm -hmm. And so when we're cooking, let's say we substitute rice for cauliflower rice instead, that's actually beneficial for me. Um, And it's been quite enjoyable because I love cooking to be more creative with these restrictions. So, I mean, thinking, thinking about it as a challenge is, you know, a kind of a fun way to think about, um, these food restrictions. Yeah. And we've had some fun and kind of deconstructing meals that work for both of us, like what the, the healthier egg roll, if you will, uh, as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, what, and, how, how are we making that healthier? Oh, uh, well, first off, we don't have the wrapping, uh, but essentially you take an egg roll, you deconstruct it and you can make it in almost something that's quote unquote ketogenic or paleo. So we substitute uh, soy sauce with tamari. Tamari, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, then everything's fresh vegetables. And so you have fresh vegetables in there. There's no MSG whatsoever. We take the sausage out of its casing. We take the sausage out of its casing and you're mm-hmm. very good at prompting me with these. <laughs> but um, And, you know, we use, again, it's fresh vegetables fresh meat, fresh meat from the butcher. And so it makes it in effect close to what an egg roll would taste like um, and close to that egg roll like experience. But in reality, it checks all of the boxes when it comes to whatever diet you're following minus the carnivore diet. Yeah. I want to go back to kind of what you said about the whole discipline thing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. When you're, let's take a child, right? Like if you discipline a child and tell them to not do something, they're going to want to do it even more. Mm -hmm. 
don't eat fried chicken. (laughs) And so it's just all about moderation, you know. You don't have to hate yourself for just having one glass of wine. If you know that I'm just going to have this glass of wine and that's it, then that's, you know, you can be a lot more free about it rather Mm than I'm going to be, um, what is it? I'm going to be, I'm going on this, what do you call it? Like detox. Detox. Thank you. Yeah. You make a good point. And in certain cases that does work, everything in moderation, but there's a lot of people who have done whatever to themselves all life long, where it's, where it can be something like watching porn too often to, uh, just not having any sort of, uh, they have leptin resistance, so they're not able to feel full. They have food addictions, et cetera. And so at some point you do need to beat yourself a little bit back into shape, um, in order to get to that state where you can say everything in moderation. And there's certain people like, for instance, myself with almond butter, right? Everything in moderation, that doesn't fucking work with me in almond butter. Mm-hmm. I will consume the entire jar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with other foods, it can. And so I think it's about being flexible and kind of listening, not listening to what your body necessarily needs, but like um, really being real with yourself and understanding that. I may have certain types of addictions or certain types of, and I don't want to label it addictions, certain types of food quicksands. So almond butter, nuts in general for me seem to be those quicksands. Um, and trying to avoid those as a result is is extremely useful. Experiments. I run a lot of them. And this is actually a personal request from, or it was a request from a listener to understand how you tolerate my running with experiments. <laughs> because I know at times like this involves me pricking myself in the finger. I have a pin in my arm right now. Um, and I'm r- continuously running different things. What do you think, what in your mind makes that work? For you, I think it's always just trusting that you are doing everything safe. Um, and I know that you you are doing a ton of reading and always consulting with practitioners. Um, so I, I have faith that you're not going to harm yourself. Yes, it gets a little bit <laughs> overwhelming at times with the amount of gadgets that we have in our home. Um, but I think, yeah, it's always just communicating, um, letting me know exactly what type of experiment that you're doing so that if God forbid, if anything bad was to happen, at least I know how to react and help you out. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's most important is just communicating, um, with your spouse to let them know what exactly you're experimenting with, even if it's, um, uh, fasting, you know, for three days, you know, that's a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you are fasting and working out, that could be potentially dangerous if you're doing a really a big workout. So I think communicating with your spouse is first and foremost the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have several times where I've either overdone something, taken too much of something, and come out and look, this is all kind of Bayesian sort of uh, observation and prediction observation model, right? And so like I 
I'm running an experiment with a certain level of knowledge to it, but I may, there may be a lot that's uncertain. And sometimes I overstep into that uncertainty and come out into the room and like, up, oh, I've completely overdone myself. Mm-hmm. And I do, particularly with the last, last incident where I did this, where we kind of said like, Hey, you basically sat me down and said, I need to know what you're doing and when, and that was enlightening because before it was just sort of, even before we started dating, when I was running experiments, I was just kind of doing whatever I wanted, but now it's just like, okay, now I have to explain this to you as to why I think it's a good idea. And it also allows me to be more grounded in my experiments too. It allows me to be more uh, diligent in what I'm doing and particularly measuring things so that I don't blow myself up. That's a good example of that time when you took a little bit too much of a special substance and you came out and naturally your personality is to not ask for help. Mm -hmm. It's true. And when you are at that state, however, you need somebody to take care of you. And so, you know, asking for help when you need it and um, not being uncomfortable about it mm-hmm. because it is really important. Like uh, you, it's okay to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. especially if you're experimenting, you are putting yourself in a very vulnerable state. You don't know how you're going to react because all of the things that you're experimenting with is very fringe. Mm-hmm. And so um, making sure that other people around you are aware. And also if you don't feel comfortable asking for help. Which is something I'm still working on. Yes. Yes, it is. That's okay. All right. (laughs) 2021 is around the corner. What are you looking forward to most in 2021? We have our wedding coming up. If you haven't, if you've forgotten. I haven't forgotten. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not that bad. Come on. (laughs) We do have our weddings scheduled. Um, So very excited about that. And we are also looking to buy a house in Amsterdam. So those are two very big life milestones. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I really am trying not to get my hopes up that COVID is going to be done by Q1 of next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, managing my own expectations around that. But, you know, working from home has been great and I hope that continues mm-hmm. um, or at least the option for that flexibility is there. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, upskilling, continuing with some online courses that I've been, that I've started this year. Okay. What What does upskilling look like? Cause some people may not be familiar with the term, um, but what are you looking to upskill? So a lot of people have been doing online courses during their time at home. And so for for me in particular, I'm taking an interior design course. Um, Hopefully if we get a house and if it's it's bare bones, then I will have some expertise around that. Regardless, you'll have to, you're going to be the one designing it because I, yeah, I don't have, (laughs) I don't have that eye. You get get an office though. So that's all you. There you go. And that'll be filled with gadgets. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then thinking about taking a Dutch course mm-hmm. since we're, we have now lived in Amsterdam for four years mm-hmm. and in year five, we can take a permanent residency. When we moved test. here, did you think you'd be here four years? No. 
Yeah, I think we were, we were benching three years. Yeah. And then probably the U.S. or something after that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, you know, I've got to say it's been, Netherlands has been one of the better countries to have lived through COVID. Yeah. You know, the restrictions were not as strict mm-hmm. as Italy or Germany or France. Um, you know, we. California we, even. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, and the hospitals, I think, were never overrun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that in terms of the the healthcare system and everything, it's been it's been pretty solid mm-hmm. here in the Netherlands. What are you looking forward to for twenty twenty one? Well, I think you stated the obvious one, which is like, hey, we're going to get married, and or partners or whatever we decide to end up calling it. Friends. Uh, friends. With yeah, benefits. With benefits. Oh, that sounds like the start of something interesting. Um, I'm sure it's a movie. Yeah. With Mila Kunis or something. Oh, Mila Kunis, don't get me started. <laughs> um, so on, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're going to get married and that's going to be a lot of fun. And regardless of it happens, in the destination, or if we end up walking down to the courthouse, it's going to be a great day. Um, if it's down in the courthouse, hopefully it's not raining, but <laughs> it'll be a fantastic day regardless. Uh, other things that I'm looking forward to are, and I don't think it's, you mentioned this earlier, but I like I don't want to make the assumption that this vaccine is going to roll out and everything's going to go back to normal. And in fact, I don't necessarily want it to go back to normal because I think there's certain trends or things that have happened um, which have which were either accelerated because of COVID or just happened as a result. Um, from a personal perspective, I actually like being in one place more frequently. Uh, what's interesting is that I'm sleeping better than I have before. And it's because I'm not persistently jet, jet lagged. Uh, the, uh, the working from home trend, which like, dear God, we've had the technology now for five plus years. Why can't we work from home regardless of the industry? And now we, now you're kind of being encouraged to, and I hope that trend continues. I hope the trend is actually more, not just work from home, but work from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think there needs to be one of the the big firms out there needs to take the step and say that you can work from anywhere and we're going to keep your pay the same regardless because that will encourage people to go and see the world. And I think there are going to be knock-on benefits to that uh, just from like societal level values and just people really having the benefit of traveling around the world. Um and so I hope some of those trends continue. I hope some of those trends actually accelerate. Uh, from a personal perspective, uh, you know, I've already touched on the wedding. I just, you know, would like to be able to travel just a little bit in order to see friends and fa- really close friends that you don't get to see as often uh, because I've, I suffer from Zoom fatigue just as much as everybody else. And if I'm on Zoom calls all day long, I don't necessarily spend the remaining time uh, talking to friends and family. And so just being able to reconnect with those people in person uh, would be absolutely incredible. Yeah, we should be in New Zealand right now. We should. but In 27 degrees Celsius, not Fahrenheit. 
Yeah, it, that means warm as fuck in Fahrenheit. It's uh, beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. But babe, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. I love you and I I love you too. Wouldn't imagine doing this journey with anybody else. Oh, he's crying. I'm, I'm <laughs> I've been watching too many Korean dramas these days, so. Yeah. <laughs> all right, to all the superhumans listening out there, enjoy your new years and we'll see you in 2021. <laughs>